Undoubtedly, a lot of people came into the room today and you're thinking, boy, I just wish I could put my finger on exactly what God is trying to do and trying to show me because I've lost my job or my marriage is in trouble or I'm just completely lost as far as direction is concerned. No better text than the text found in, in Genesis chapter 32. And now remember, you've gone all the way through creation and God's shown us a whole bunch of stuff that we shouldn't, shouldn't do. And then you get to Genesis chapter 32 and it's a pretty interesting story. So I actually wanna read the text to you this morning so that you don't just think this is pastor's word, this isn't, this isn't the word of God. It says, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. That's a good thing right there. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Manaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he instructed them, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, emphasis on the word servant, emphasis on servant to Esau, your servant says this, I've been staying with Laban and I have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to, to my Lord, Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob is talking to Lord Esau that I might find favor in your eyes. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you with 400 men. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people, his people, who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And he thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group is left. At least I'll have somebody and something left. And then Jacob prayed, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. That's how rich I am. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, Lord, for I'm afraid that he's going to come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. And who would kill children? But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sands of the sea, which cannot be counted. And so what did he do? He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And he put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself and said to his servants, you go ahead of me because this is going to soften the blow to my brother and, and, and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one of the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say they belong to your servant, emphasis on servant, Jacob. 
They're a gift sent to my Lord, Lord Esau, who is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, I will see him. Perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. The night Jacob got, that night Jacob got up and, and took his two wives, his, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go. I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, well, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered, then he, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Wow. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Pretty intense story, one that most of us have heard many, many times in our lives. But it's still intense every time you read it. I was blessed like crazy as I was reading. But if you go through the story and just read it in the scripture, you automatically know that Jacob is still a schemer. He's always been a schemer. He's still a schemer. He's planning and plotting because he really doesn't trust that God is big enough to keep his brother from killing him. That God is big enough to see beyond my needs and your needs and my responsibilities and all the things that surround my life. God is big enough to take us through all of that. Undoubtedly, someone has walked in the room much like me today because the way I'm wired is well, God, I really trust you, but I need to help you. God, I really, really trust you, but I know you're saying God, God blesses those who bless themselves. That's heresy. No, God blesses those who trust God. God is the one that blesses. So I was saying to the praise band earlier, my wife and I were on the way home last night from going out with dinner with some friends. And we're talking in the car, and we're thanking God that we still have friends in our life. And she said to me, looking back over the years of ministry, just think how many people have been in our life, and then they're out of our life. They're gone. All of a sudden, they're just out of our life. And you know, in, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I need to, do, I need to do everything I possibly can to make people still like us always trying to manipulate God. Well, let's just pray right now so we can tell God what he needs to do. Did you ever stop to think that even prayer and fasting can be manipulation of God? God, please do this. Please do this. 
please do that, please do this. We need you now. And, and so that's why we come to you. And I'm thinking, no, we need to bless God, period. Yes? I said to the praise band, we need to bless God because we have hands. Because my son said this week, Dad, have you ever thought about how difficult it is to pick up a glass of water without using your thumb? It's not even possible. Do you know how valuable that thumb is? You could never hitchhike again. I could never play the keyboard again. Try playing the guitar without your thumb. And you say, boy, I just I came today and I'm just feeling like I'm just not really blessed. Everybody else is blessed, but I'm not blessed. Why don't I have a wife? Why don't I have a husband? Why don't I have kids? Why don't I have this, that, and the other thing? Why did I lose my job? Why, why do people not like me? I have gone through most of my life asking why. Trying to manipulate my circumstances so that I don't have to continue to ask why. Why are all these seats empty today? That was going through my mind, actually, as I stood up there. Where are the people that should fill these seats? And God says, stop worrying about the seats. I got it all figured out. So I went home last night, and my wife said, man, can you think of how many people aren't with us that were with us in the beginning of starting Rock Church uh, five years ago in a couple months? And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, they weren't there. They weren't at Rock Church. And I was saying to Praise Man, Aaron wasn't there, and now he's married to Danny. Had we not started? The Fisks weren't with us. You guys back there weren't with us. I could just go through, and God said to me, what you need to do is stop counting all the issues in your life and all the times that you think God wasn't there and remember that he gave you a thumb. Hmm. Whoa. Waitress comes to your table always at the most inconvenient time. Your mouth is totally full. How are those first few bites? Seriously. You know, that, you know what I'm talking about? It's like always at the most inappropriate time somebody asks you if it's good or not. How are you doing? Pretty good. Now, we've, we, have, we have forgotten how good we have it, and so we lose momentum in our life. You see, it is about weight and velocity. So when you get that thing spinning around that you think is going to kill that ugly giant, when you get that thing spinning around and you're so positive that this is what you're going to throw back at the devil and it doesn't knock him down and you just think God isn't there. God has abandoned me. Where is God? I'm, I'm really struggling. Where is God? How come God is not rewarding me the way I think he should reward me? And then I wrote in my notes that you cannot get any momentum if you are always looking back at mistakes or blessings from the past. You can't get any momentum. It kills you. I went to bed thinking about people that I've, we have left us. I left my wife and I kind of like we're not even friends anymore. They don't even talk to us or anything. And then God said to me, you're looking at it completely wrong. Your perspective is skewed by your circumstances. And I've preached it a thousand times. Don't let your circumstances dictate your path. They will undoubtedly make you lose momentum 
at the very least. And so when I, when I start thinking about what I preach myself, I think, then what do I, what do I need to do? I need to know, number one, that I have more to accomplish if I want to be in the race at all. A lot of people get to be my age, and all they could think about is retirement. And I honestly think to myself, I am not the kind of person to retire. Retire and become worthless? And retired people will tell you that they're busier than when they were not retired. I am so ready to get rid of our front room furniture and buy three recliners. The word recliner is not actually even in my vocabulary. They're ugly. You know they are, they're ugly. I had one and I gave it to Dirk. Recliners, I'm not ready to sit in any stupid recliner chair and die. I want to do something for God. So what do I need to do? I need to press on. Get over yourself and press on. There's more to do. Life is too good. How could you be negative on a day like this in Michigan? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Hokey pokey, need to do a little dance when it's like this. And yet there are people that are just, oh, um, uh, you, you don't know, Pastor. We ran out of cereal and milk this morning. It's been a rough day. You know what I want you to do in response to that? I got a thumb. From now on, this is what you do to each other. Thumbs up. Just try it. Ready? Look at the person next to you and give them a thumb. Now, I I make this promise to you. You're good at giving people a finger, but it's not the thumb. Yeah, you know it. You know it's true. You know it's true. How many times you've been riding down the road and things aren't going the way you think they should, and you just want to give them a finger. Just try this. Yeah. Guy in my neighborhood last night was driving down the street about five miles an hour. The speed limit's 25. My wife does 40. (laughs) True. And so I kindly honked my horn and pulled around him because I thought maybe he was going to turn in, and he unkindly honked back at me. Anytime you honk your horn at somebody, they assume that you're mad or something. I don't think there's any more hostile environment than being in a vehicle. Seriously. You got to press on. And I love Steve Ferrer's book because it actually says this. You got to finish strong if you want to be in the race at all. Who runs a race? I'm running so I can be last. (laughs) My goal is to run and be the very last. Really? Is that what you're trying to do when you're running? Not me. And so we have Jacob and we have Esau, two completely different people. 
They were fighting from the very time that they were in the womb together. The fighting was already taking place. God has given people an innate inside instinct to fight, flight, or freeze. You fall into one of those categories, actually. It's either going to be a fight, a flight, or freeze. You're in one of those places this morning. You're either in a fight, and you know what it's about. I don't necessarily know what kind of fight you're going through, but you're in a fight over something, and maybe you're ready to take a flight and just run the other direction. Or you just freeze and you don't know what to do. You're, you're in a frozen spot right now where you're actually trying to make a decision about something, but it's just not coming. you got to decide I'm in fight, flight, or, or just freeze. In Genesis 32, I actually see Jacob doing all three of these things. He's going three, through all three of these pretty much at the same time with God, with with his family, and with himself. I would say that more people in here are in these categories than care to say. You're sitting in the room right now. You're in a, a frozen position in your life. You don't know what's next. So what do you do? I'm just going to pack it up and escape. Take flight. Because it's always all about us. My situation is the worst out there. No, it isn't. You have health. You got here today. You're eating. The people in Venezuela, which used to be a very wealthy country, are eating their dogs. A fact. Why do all those people down there want to take flight and come to America? Because America is still the greatest place on the entire planet. Don't let our media tell you differently. Do not let the media tell you that this is a bad place with a bad president. I love our president and I love what's happening. Not ashamed to say it. I'll be more vocal than ever because if not, we are going to lose our freedoms. And by the way, Never should Americans surrender their weapons. My wife was sharing last night that, that um, a lady who is, her husband, uh, you, he's made some movies, Dinesh D'Souza, you may know who he is. His wife was originally from Venezuela, and she was commenting recently that she would like to go back there and help out, but she said she has talked to her friends, and her friends told her, that more than food, even though they're starving, more than needing food, they need weapons. That should send a very strong message to Americans. Fight before you give up your weapons because it's coming. It is prophetic to see what's coming. It's prophetic and pathetic at the same time. Younger people don't care. Socialism is evil. It is not good. It is evil. We should say it. Our churches should be outspoken about these issues rather than hiding. And if I say, I guarantee you, I'll get flack even today because I said Trump is a great president. And I don't care. He is. Do you want to preach, honey?
It'll... It'll be political if my wife gets up here. We'll probably get arrested. Because sometimes she says to me, I think you sounded harsh today. And I'm like, don't even go there. She was up here, it'd be ripping. I, I don't understand, you know, not to get off on a political tangent here, but I don't understand why we're not addressing the issues in our churches. Where is there to address it? Where else would we address it? What, what microphone do you have? Other than Fox News and, and talk radio, there's no one telling us exactly what's going on. We're getting lies across the board. I wanted to say this, Jacob was a me first person, but me first is always miserable. Always miserable. There are miserable people in the room. You're not getting along with your spouse because it's about you rather than them. Me first always loses. Me first people are miserable and Jacob was miserable. And so when he stole Esau's birthright, he had to run. You know how many times I've told you don't move just to move? People don't even listen to what you're saying. You have to scream at the top of your lungs. You don't move just to a different location just for the sake of moving. You seek out God first. And by the way, I'm a strong believer in this. When you won't take the counsel of godly people about moving, you're moving to misery. Promise you. I could write a book on that alone. And if I say it, then you're just mean. You can't tell people whether to move or not. If they ask me, I'll tell them what I think. I should, I should um, take out my phone right now and read what Randy Tatnan wrote to me yesterday. Pastor, I look back and thank you so much for your ministry in my life because he and I talked about his move. Way before he moved, we talked about it. And he said, we had, we had a pastor come this week and talk to the leadership at our church from Gateway Church, which is huge. And he talked about how encouraging the pastor was. And then Randy said, I looked back at what God is doing at the churches that you pastor. I know God is moving. He said, I'm glad to have sat under that. God is moving. You know how I know he's moving? Because he's already talking to someone in the room. Yes. He's already telling someone, you are in the, in the process of fighting and ready to take flight. Jacob was not okay with having his brother get the earth birthright. I wrote this in my notes. We don't always take pleasure in a particular possession. We take pleasure in having more of that possession than someone else has. Not necessarily the possession, because I can, go out in the, I can go out in the parking lot and almost assuredly say that all of those vehicles will get me home. Except maybe Kevin Miller's truck and a couple others. I'm not sure. I can't say that emphatically. But I could almost say that I could get in one of those vehicles and get home. But that's not the issue with us. We want a vehicle that everybody looks at and says, I wish I had that. 
And that was the problem with Jacob. He wanted more of the possession that God had already given to him. Is that your, is that your problem today? Jacob didn't like who he was. Most people don't like who they are. If you asked everyone in here, what would you change about yourself? Most people would go, hmm, I don't know where to begin. Where should I begin? There's something about yourself you don't like. In Jacob's case, it was like a brain versus brawn thing. He was the brain, and his brother Esau was the brawn, and Daddy-O liked brawn more than brain, and so whatever he had to do to get his father's approval, he wanted to do that. But guess what? He ended up being something that he really wasn't. Mm -hmm. The Bible says what good is it to gain the whole world if you lose your own soul? I would ask you this, what good is it to gain something in your life if you lose something more important in your life, like your spouse, like your marriage, like your kids? How about that? How about losing that because you decide that you need to gain more in another area? God cannot bless who you pretend to be, by the way. We're all fakes to a certain degree. We're all fakes to a certain degree. And every church would like to have a sign out there, Rock Church is for real people. I guess they're real. Unless some of you are aliens and you just have a rubber mask on like something Tom Cruise would wear, and you're going to rip it off. And I go, oh, my goodness, it's an alien. Are you real people? Hmm. Jacob had learned to out play, outthink, outmaneuver, and outrun. Everything is about competition now. Everything is about being accepted. We're finally at a stage where most of you are accepted because nerds are accepted now. Isn't that cool? Thank you, Jesus. Nerds are accepted. So should we, should we have a sign at the door only problemless people are welcome here. Nerds, go away. There'd be nobody in the room. No, there'd be a few. Cool people, no? Yeah, I like Michelle Barrissey said that when I spoke at the women's thing the other night. She said everybody has some problems, right? Do you know that? You just dress yours up differently. You know you do. You know that you have problems, but you want to look good so no one else thinks poorly of you. We're just like Jacob in one respect. He cheated his brother out of his birthright, and that means he had to run away in order to avoid the wrath of his brother. And so he ran. Let me just say this to me and everyone in the room. Running always catches up with us. It always catches up with us because he met his match in Laban and you know he did. Did he not? He goes and he goes to his uncle's place because his uncle will take him because you have, hey, you have to take your relatives in. And sometimes you'd like to strangle them. But they're related to you. And you don't know what to do, so you do the best that you can with him. So he goes to his uncle Laban, and while he's there, he falls in love with Rachel. She's hot. He's just like, 
in between all his chores, he's doing push-ups. And so he, he tells his Uncle Laban, he says, I want, I want Rachel. She, I just feel she's a godly woman. His uncle looks at him and says, yep, you've been a schemer your whole life. I know she's hot. So he schemes and he works for seven years and on his wedding night without him realizing it, he wakes up to have Leah in bed with him. You know the story well, but, and that's not what he planned. That's not what he wants. He was running away and now he's gotten trapped in his only, own kind of thing. Jacob is very passive aggressive during the second seven years when he's actually working now to get Rachel. The second seven years, he's passive-aggressive. This is what he does. You think you've outsmarted me, Uncle Laban. I will outsmart the system. I'm saying this to everybody in the room, including myself. You can't outsmart God. You think you can sneak around and do this thing and the other thing and that thing? I guarantee you, it catches up with you with things that happen in your life. How many people have I known that think, oh, we're running, we're, we're having such financial problems, but don't want to pinpoint it back to the, the fact that they've totally left God out of their life and aren't giving a penny and just think financial problems just happened? No, they didn't just happen. Did I say something wrong? What? Just a baby, good. Thank you, Jesus. Would you feel funny if you were up here talking and people get up and leave? I have wanted to invent some kind of device that you don't have to go to the bathroom. I'd be rich. I would be rich. Because you could take it on trips. Royce could drive 16 hours straight. <laughs> no? Yeah, he's thinking he can outsmart the system, so he goes into this mode of cattle rustling. He starts to stack up the stuff this second seven years. By the time he comes to the end of the seven years, he's got a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of cattle because he couldn't have offered these things to his brother Esau if it didn't exist. He's very rich. He now has two wives. He has some servants. He has a lot of possessions when he gets to the point of our text this morning. And Jacob decides to get away because Laban catches on to what he's doing. And so once again, he needs to run. 20 years have passed and he's on the run. What he doesn't realize is that his father-in-law only has a three-day behind him gap and he's pretty upset and so his father-in-law manages to catch up with him in three days fear overtook Jacob and he actually said this in the text I rushed away because I was afraid stop the tape most of us this morning are in a state fear about something. Fear about my job. Fear about my marriage. Fear about my kids. 
fear about my depression because of, I don't know, just because that's the way I'm wired. Fear. I'd be lying if I didn't say that I'm actually in a state of fear myself. I'm always asking God, where are you? You know the reason why I love these books? Because I ask that question all the time. God, where are you? I've been praying and praying and praying for this to take place. Where are you, God? And this just fits so perfectly with the other book. Don't give up because you are ready to give up, throw in the towel, and just run away from your situation completely. You're tired. One, way I, one day I, I texted Duffy, how are you doing today? And you responded, meh. M-E-H. And we were going to bed last night, and so somebody else sent that same three-letter word to me, meh. I thought it was a mistake. I thought it was like a cuss word or something. <laughs> you know, I saw, Becky knows this is the truth. We were in bed, and I just said to her, meh. I think she's thinking, you're losing it. <laughs> I said... Oddest part of it is anyway, because we're so strange. We're sleeping sideways on our mattress because there's little indentations this way. And her back's been killing her. I said, if people only knew, we are the only people that sleep sideways on their mattress. Does anybody else do that? <laughs> One person in the whole room. And then you know how you talk with your family and your, and your spouse. And I just said, I'm... I have to get up and I have to type in my phone what the heck meh means. Because it obviously wasn't a mistake. What does it mean? What? Like, eh, so so, nothing to brag about, not really cool, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, meh. Everybody say it? Meh. Are you in a meh state? <laughs> no! It's a good day today. Come on, everybody. Yeah. Okay, there are people in the room that never participate in anything. There's a few people going, you're stupid. <laughs> I challenge you, on the way home today, pull up alongside of a car and go. <laughs> this is kind of... This is kind of how it is with some of us. You wish you could stop people who are in a position of running, but you can't. Only God can do that. There are people running away before the race has even started. They just gave up. I would like to say this, and I, I'm, Pritchards are on the verge of having a baby this week. Yeah. Is that, that's not a meh moment. This is like a yeah moment, right? Yeah, everybody yeah? Yeah! It's a yeah moment. But, but he, I know he's all geeked about this. And he came up just before you guys came into the room and he said, well, because he, he, he's taking a three-month break from work. What kind? <laughs> Have you ever heard of that before? I would be... The whole world would change during that time. But anyway, I'm not saying that critically. I love the daylights out of them. He actually came up and said, I'm going to be free some 
And so on Thursdays, I'm willing to counsel with people who have problems financially because I can help them. I said, awesome. Yes, yay. Because there are a lot of people who would like to have guidance in their life. Instead of just saying, I'm not going to do anything, say, no, I'm going to be busy doing other stuff for the kingdom of God. You're running away from a friendship, from this friendship to this friendship. When today is the day that the Lord would say to you, you need to stop running and just go back to your friend and say, I love you. Love covers a multitude of friends, a multitude of sins, and a multitude of relationships that may have been somehow, I don't know, separated. It's time to stop running and say enough is enough. So when you come to the story in Genesis 32, you see Laban coming up behind Jacob now, and Jacob is at a standstill as he finds out by sending a servant out that Esau is coming the other direction. Ever been in a position where you were cornered, you were stopped dead in your tracks, something has come up behind you that has just smacked you, surprised you, scared you, and then there's something on the other side coming at you that has, you, you can't deal with, you haven't had to deal with it, but now God is saying, I'm putting you in a position where you actually have to deal with this thing. You have no choice, I put you in this position, you have to deal with it. Sometimes God doesn't give us a way out, does he? And so it says this, Esau is not just coming and it's not just time to face up to it, but you might not make it through this situation because he's coming with 400 men. I'd be so overwhelmed, I'd just be shaking. You say, this isn't me, this doesn't apply to me. It applies to everyone in this room at some juncture in their life. Where we're up against this thing, and I feel like I'm cornered. So it says in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. This is the deal. God sends angels to us to help guide us even, and we're not even recognizing it. Yes, 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 yes. God sends angels into our life to make us realize that he's got you. You are in the room this morning, sitting in this room, not by your design, by God's design, because something has come up against you and has pushed you in a position of having to deal with you. With you. You can't move away from you. I have watched literally dozens of people move away thinking that their hope was moving. Moving will not make any difference because you are still there. It was time now for God to say, it's over, it's done. You've been running forever. Stop running. I'm talking to you. You have been running forever. Stop running and deal with you. Oh my gosh. I was sitting at my counter again this week crying, thinking, oh, God, are you good at this? You are so good at this. When, when someone or something is coming against us, he puts us in a position where we cannot move forward. We have to look upward. We're forced into a position of dealing with the real you. And so Jacob 
looks up and the scripture says that out of the darkness, someone came and touched him. Change is, con is conflicting. I didn't say convicting, I said it's conflict conflicting. It's conflicting. It creates conflict. And when conflict comes, you have to decide on which side of this you're going to come out. So Laban comes up behind him and he's got to deal with all the stuff that he took. All the stuff that he took. He has to deal with this. He has to face his uncle. And they make an agreement. There's no way back. This is a line you may not come back into our world. You either have to change or you cannot come back into this world. And at times that's what God does. He puts you in a position where you'll never be able to go back and it's actually good. Yes, it is good. You can't go back. What is back there is not good for you. You got this? What is back there is not healthy for you. That lazy work ethic that you had back there will no longer work. You've got to deal with you. That addiction that you had back there will not work any longer. You have to deal with you. That depression you faced back there is not going to work any longer. You need to deal with you. It's you that God is working on. It's not your sister, your mother, your father, your brother, the pastor. It's you that is standing in the need of prayer, is it not? And God puts us in a spot where he's against back up against us, and we can't go back there, nor should we go back there. Oh, my gosh, did something powerful happen this week. I decided to start my mentoring group again, and I just thought, I'm so busy, but I feel you want me to do this. I'll mentor any guys that can come here Thursday for one hour at noon. And I made amazing lunch, meatloaf, baked potatoes, my homemade baked beans with bacon that are so good but so dangerous. <laughs> Apple salad with raisins, a bunch of stuff. And I was expecting, God, I hope I can have 12 guys come. I had 20. Dave Fry bought two, brought two Hispanic men with him. One could barely speak English, and the other one was fluent. And as I had my challenge time out there to him, I noticed that they were getting emotional. Like they were, they were starting to get emotional like they were going to cry. They were brothers. They work for Dave now in his lawn service. And I got to the point, I asked, does everyone in here know Jesus for sure? Is anyone really depressed right now? I asked the same question in the room. Is anyone in here really depressed and discouraged? And the one guy that barely speaks English raised his hand, and, he's, and he had to have his brother interpret for me. He said, I attempted suicide this last week. I haven't been sleeping. I'm so exhausted. I have four children and a wife, and I, I tried to take my life. And he said, I just couldn't go on. I couldn't go on anymore. And then he said, and this is so powerful. He said, but in the middle of the night, in a dream, Jesus came to him and saved him. In the middle of the night, in the middle of my mentoring group, in the middle of my wondering if God is still blessing me, in the middle of it all, and he, and he got tears in his eyes, started weeping. I just, oh, my gosh. God, how stupid can I be? You are working all around us. 
all around us all the time. We're just so caught up in what's going in our world that we can't even see how good we have it, that we're so blessed to have hands and thumbs and food and a family and people that love us and a church that preaches the gospel. We don't even realize how good we have it. And I walked out of there thinking, God, I, I had it wrong. I was trying to put together a businessmen's group so that I could groom those guys. And you said, this is going to change people's lives. You're going to see how I'm working. And he actually told his brothers to interpret this. Tell the men in here, be sure you that you know Jesus. Be sure you know Jesus. I wish they'd come to our church, those guys. That light will spread to someone else. So Jacob gets in, in this position of not knowing where to turn, and he has this, you know the story, this angel comes up to him in the dark, and he has this encounter with this angel, and he's wrestling, and the angel basically says, you need to let me go. Don't you think it would be us saying to the angel, let go of me, stop this, God, stop this, stop bothering me, stop convicting me, stop coming after me, stop, stop, stop. I just want to scream, I want to give up, I want to run away. And God says, no, you're not going to run away. And Jacob knew he was in a position. Okay, this is it, listen, this is the end. This is the end of the message. Jacob knew he was in a position that he could never let go of God. The scheming had to stop. The deceit needed to stop. The pity parties needed to stop. All those things needed to stop, and he realized, I have nowhere to go but to God, and I'm going to take God right now. I will not let you go until you bless me. How come you've given up? You're in this room, and you've given up on something. You've given up on your family being saved. You've given up on your marriage being better. You've given up on your kids turning out right. You've given up on your finances. You've given up on the struggle that you have with, with depression and all the things in life. You've just thrown in the towel and God says, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Things are awesome. Are they not? God is so faithful. Because he wouldn't let go of God, God said, I'm going to change your name. You will never be Jacob again. You will be Israel. I've seen the face of God is the name of the place, Peniel. I wrestled with God, and I've seen his face. God, show your face to us this moment. Reveal your face to us. But what I like the best about the whole story was something I read this week that popped out at me, like God does this supernaturally, something I read that I had not read before. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. But in the book of Exodus, which was later than this Genesis 32 text, in the book of Exodus, the Bible says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and... Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wait a second. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Schemer. Oh, God, oh, my gosh. I just, I, I thought about that all week this week. God is the God of schemers. God is the God of addicts. God is the God of people who have given up. He's the God of people who feel they don't fit. He's the God of people who have really blown it. He's the God of those people too. 
thank you. Wow, God, close your eyes.